Blur it up, blur it up. Welcome to the show where we talk about nerd culture from a BPOV, a black POV. You can find us on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We are on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D period U-P. We are on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. Find us on Blur.com, our partners full of nerdy content from a black cultural lens. Again, I did it with the power of coffee. I'm your host, Brendan, and I'm joined by popular demand, Jade. Was it popular? Yes. <laughs> or was it just people harassing you on behalf of me? I, I don't know. <laughs> Time will tell. I'm going to attempt something wild uh, today. I'm going to try and do two episodes in one studio session. Ooh. With Jade, we're going to review Antebellum, and we're going to discuss Lovecraft Country episode five and six. I took a week off last week because of my birthday. I just wanted some time off. Happy birthday. It was nice. It was real nice. I went to the countryside and uh, went stargazing. It was gorgeous. Beautiful weather. But I had to come back home and do double the work. So <laughs> we're going to do this show. And then hopefully Tiara's going to come in a little later and we're going to talk about video games, specifically the upcoming Council War in November. Before we get to Antebellum, I want to announce another milestone. Blur.com told me, that when they searched Blurred Podcasts on Google, our name was the first to come up. Oh. But the caveat is maybe there was a regional effect because of where they're based in North Carolina. When I searched in Korea, I didn't get that. But what I did get was an article by Player.fm, which listed Blurred Up in their best Blurred Podcast of 2020. So, <laughs> so that's pretty rad. So again, I want to thank everyone for checking for us uh please pretty please rate subscribe and give us a review just a couple of sentences you know anything we would really help us out we'd really appreciate it you got time to google the lyrics to cardi b's wop you got time to give them a like just saying for your tiktok you know you're doing it i'll see you more on that later actually right what was that wop though (laughs) it's a it's a sample was it? Yeah, I think... Because uh, that's definitely not how the song goes. <laughs> no, not that song, no. Oh, but I okay. think because we're going to talk about Lovecraft Country uh-huh. and they had a little Richard Sooty Fruity in there with mm. the Wap Babaloop, I think Kanye sampled that w- Wap. Was it Kanye's? I'm sorry. Was it Little Richard's version or was it uh, that white man's version? We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. <laughs> um, so Jade was here for the Mulan review. And I'm sure people want to know how the movie is doing at the box office. So let me update I, you really on that. We really don't, but sure. <laughs> Well, in China, it brought in $23 million on its opening weekend. That's like $5. <laughs> uh, Disney won't release the numbers for the Disney Plus ploy, but <laughs> Yahoo News says it's looking to be around 60 to $90 million. So its worldwide run is looking to only bring in about $57 million by the end of its whole thing. <laughs> That's not even half. Right. So this is looking to be a big flop for Disney, given its $200 million budget. And Jade is shedding no tears. I'm bawling here. I'm, I'm crying. I'm distraught. <laughs> I'm beside myself. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's get to Annabelle. I purposely asked Jade not to tell me anything about her thoughts on this, so... It's all going to be a surprise for both of us, but looking at her face, I feel like we're going to arrive at a similar... Do you want to go first or should I? Well, I, I kind of want to set up the, the movie first. Enjoy, you do that. <laughs> I'll wait. I'm a patient woman. I'll wait. Yeah. Okay. Um, Like I said on the show a few times before, I tend not to watch slave movies or movies featuring black suffering. I, I read the news enough. I have my second nightmare about being shot by a police officer last night that's crazy woke me up at like 3 a.m and i still managed to write what 17 pages for the show (laughs) (laughs) and try to do a double header for y'all so for it's for the culture um anyway going to these kind of stories is not really my idea of escaping reality however the trailer for an antebellum suggested a twist some there seem to be some sort of mix of past and present, black mirror, time travel, maybe dream element. In the trailer, they have a, like an airplane going over the plantation, and it, it kind of like zzz, like distorts as if there's a blend there. And of course, it stars Janelle Monae, who is a wonderful actress. I mean, she's wonderful in everything she does. So I was I was in. So this film was originally scheduled to be released on April twenty fourth, but it was delayed to August 21st due to COVID, of course. And God knowing. (laughs) And it finally released on September 18th. 
So I rushed back home from my trip to watch this. And I'm just going to tell y'all right now, this movie is bad. Like, really bad. It's a subpar Netflix movie. Probably Don't do Netflix pushed, like that. That's rude. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they pushed it for the big screen off of the star power of Janelle Monet. Um, so, give you some background. Um, as Brendan said, hold on time. I, yes, I just want folks to know that she literally just put on chapstick. Chapstick yes, for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she's prepping herself. Um, Go ahead. So, full disclosure, uh, Brendan did in fact ask me um, not to talk to him about like my thoughts about it before we got here, but also he specifically asked me to watch the movie for this. And I specifically told him I wasn't going to watch the movie. Not only was I not going to watch the movie because I don't need to see some slave film, but I wasn't going to watch it because it just didn't seem very good to me. Just something seemed off about it. And my gut, the girl is 10 to 10. So something told me not to watch this movie. And literally 10 minutes in, I shouted, I got to sit through an hour and 45 minutes more of this. Like I was distraught. So most of you feel you've, 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 you've got comfy, you've got your cup of tea and you're going to listen to us espouse our thoughts on this film. No, this is going to be a dragging of Brendan for making me watch this film oh, no. for two hours. That's what we getting into. Call me Drake. Cause I'm upset. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. This is, it's good entertainment. Come on. For who, who, who's entertainment? <laughs> who's entertainment, sir? Oh, oh come on. Let's. <laughs> you know, interestingly, I thought the beginning started off pretty strong. I mean, t- typical. You know, you have your little white girl playing in the front yard of the house with this lovely orchestration, and then, then as the music escalates, it cuts to typical slave work, and then finally to a violent scene where a black couple is separated, and then the woman had a nose piercing a septum which set off a mystery to me i'm like did they have those things back in those back in those days and i was like oh this is what's happening here so and then more slaves arrive with modern accents and it kind of made me more curious about like is there really some kind of time travel thing going on here but we're stuck on this plantation for 40 minutes before the film changes the narrative and the backdrop completely, completely. And from there, it spends another 30 or so minutes with the story and characters that do very little for the overall plot. And I was still scratching my head like, what the fuck is this movie? That was me at 10 minutes in. Continue, continue. (laughs) And it's at the beginning of the third act where the film finally reveals itself. And I was, I just let out that big. Did it reveal itself? (sighs) <laughs> uh, yeah, just it. There, there was a there was a kind of a twist. It would have been more interesting if the film fleshed out the world enough to make us care. But and then the the ending was abrupt and just completely unsatisfying. How do you feel about Janelle Monae's performance? Okay, so again, background. Um, I did study theater for a time. I'm not Viola Davis. I'm not Meryl um, Streep, but. Janelle Monet, starting out, so background on Janelle Monet as well, she studied musical theater. Um, and she stopped doing musical theater because she felt that uh, music would be a better way to connect with people and to spread a wider message. And she's actually absolutely correct. I also feel that Janelle Monet made that right decision because her acting is very one note. If you look at everything she's ever done, it's always the same kind of sassy black woman. The way she reads her line, it's it's as if she's an orator. And it's I, I I'm trying to be very kind because I love Janelle Monet. I've been a fan of her for so long, but when it comes to acting, it's like, sweetie, this ain't it. It's not, and if you're gonna do it, it's it, you need to do specific typecast roles. Um, it, she's kind of kindred to, for me in this film, it was very much uh, Beyonce in Fighting Temptations. It was just, it was not, it was not where it needed to be. It was not where it was at. It was very apparent that this is like supposed to be her being the uh, the main character, and this was, was supposed to be her vehicle into doing more theatrical things, and maybe she will do more theatrical things. Maybe she will get better over time. But just her acting for me in this was not where it was at. I was I did I was not 
<laughs> I, I don't want to drag the whole film, but I'm going to drag the whole film. But let's let's continue. Just for her acting, I just I did I did not feel it at all. Interesting. Personally, I thought it was good. I think you talk about the opening ten minutes. I thought her scene where she was essentially when she first came to the plantation, I thought that scene was actually really good. And there wasn't really any sassy black woman part in that. Where? Well, what do you mean when she first came to the plantation? She was, I don't want to spoil it because we'll get That's to what I was going to ask. I was like, can you do spoilers? We'll go to a spoiler or? section a little okay. bit later. But she was in a, a house with a white man. She wasn't acting in that scene. There were no, so when I speak, speaking like lines, okay. there were no lines in that scene. But I, I think. The man was basically leading that. So she was reacting in that sense. Well, again, but she was acting against what he was doing. Sure. And I thought that was, that was very good to me. Sure. And the sassy black woman part of it really, I think, manifested in that second part of the film. Because, you know, the, the three acts and the second act was kind of where, where you're talking about, where that manifested. Yeah. The where second she, act she had kinda, no place. Exactly. But, and, and she kind of played herself in that, in yeah. that role. But everything else, it, I didn't really see what you're seeing. But I'm not, you know, I'm not. I didn't study theater, so I can't really comment the on that. The characters, none of the characters were thought out. Her friends, totally. the totally people not. in her life. It was very in everything that they were speaking. The script was so clunky, totally. and just everything that they were saying was very much so. We are saying this, so you know this is going to happen at this point throughout the entire thing. It was very much like we are setting you up for a big twist at the end. And for me. I didn't feel it was a twist because as soon as I saw at the very beginning this woman with the septum, I knew what the twist was. I completely knew what the twist was. And to be fair, um, in the early stages of slavery, yes, people did have septums because that's actually a part of like many African cultures sure. to have that. However, this takes place during the antebellum era. So by this point, these black people are not descendants of, like they are American born, raised. So no, they did not have septums. So as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, I, kn- I know what's happening right now. I know exactly what's happening right now. Yeah. So I, I, didn't, I didn't need to see what occurred in those first 10 minutes. Like it was at a point where it was just, I just feel like the whole entire film, to sum it up, was just the destruction of black bodies for shock value. And I didn't need that. Totally. I totally agree with you. Before we move on, I thought Janelle was good, but I do think she was miscast because I didn't see a character in her. I saw Janelle Monae doing a performance. It's like you talked about Beyonce in that movie. Fighting Temptations. But I also thought about Beyonce in The Lion King as Nala. It's like I I didn't see... Nala there. I saw Beyonce doing Nala. Does that make sense? Exactly. Because that's how it's been for many of her characters when she was in Cadillac Records as Etta James or in Dreamgirls. Um, it's very much been a Beyonce portraying this character. It's never been you actually feeling this is a character, totally. this is what I'm seeing. And it could very well be the writing. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if you have crappy writing, I mean, what are you going to do? But then to, to uh, flip that on its head, there is another character played by Jenna Malone, who um, I think many people will remember her from uh, Hunger, Hunger Games. Games. Yes. Catching Fire. She Thanks. was she was the, the camouflage yes. woman. Yes. And so, but I mean, this, Jenna Malone has been in the game since she was a kid. Yeah. She's been doing this forever. So it's it takes nothing for her to take a crappy script and make it work. So, I mean, she was kind of the only saving grace when it came to acting for me in that. Um, everybody else, poor Gabri- Gabourey, Sidibe. It was just the. It, there was no. Ugh. <laughs> it's just like you don't understand how this frustrates me. But it was just. It was just bad, bad. And I just had to sit for in for two hours watching black women and black men just be shit on for shock value. You're totally right to say this is scary. It's like you know what, what's happening now is scary. So I I didn't need to see that. Yeah. Maybe it's me, because I haven't watched a lot of slave films, but a lot of slave films focus on the struggles of black men, mm-hmm. Amistad, um, Glory, Django, Told You a Slave. But this movie really focused on the harsh reality of black women, and I'm sure that was probably especially painful to watch for you. But as you said, they they don't really say anything with this or do anything with it. It's just for the shock value, and it really makes it hollow. And for black people, especially black women, I'm sure that's just that compounds the anger this movie was directed by two men mm-hmm. gerard bush and written as well yes i'm sorry yes uh gerard bush 
and he's, he's a black man, and Christopher Renz, who's a white man, and they are both frequent collaborators on music videos and short films. They did the Kill Jay-Z music video, for example, and this is their first full-length directorial debut and their lack of experience, and it's very obvious. Chops, it's obvious, yeah. I actually had a lot more to say, but but Jade's face is like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. No, it's no, 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 no. That's not it. That's not it. You can definitely say all you want to say about it. I'm not going to hold you to that. I just feel like it speaks volumes. And I'll, and oh, let me not say that because I don't want to generalize. But um, I do feel that there, I do feel a sincerity in them to want to push a message. But I feel like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And with this film, there were so many moments where, like you said, it wanted to focus on the black woman's plight during this slavery era. And they completely missed the ball with that. Complete, com- just it not even came close to it. There were so many moments. And even with these characters and the way they were written, there's at one point where another black woman essentially confronts uh, Janelle Monet's character um, and it's so hollow. Her words, her actions are so hollow. And you could tell very much the general consensus, like the, the general feeling they were trying to have with this was to go back on Kanye West and what he was saying about how, I mean, being a slave, um, to paraphrase, I don't remember exactly what he was saying. Slavery was a choice. Yeah, slavery was a choice. Um, and what I, I speak Kanye, uh, doesn't make it right, but I understand what he was saying. Um, but what Kanye was saying uh, is that it's all a mental thing. It's all a mental gain, uh, a game. And they were trying to show what Kanye was trying to say, but it's still, just like what Kanye said wasn't right, what you were showing wasn't right either, my guy. Like, none of it was good. (laughs) Not at all. There's the theme about black women suffering more than men during slavery time, a thing that hoteps don't don't want to have that conversation about, you know. We were emasculated. I'm like, bro, like, black women were essentially sex slaves from childhood. So they got all the emotional and physical abuse that men got plus that and uh, and more. You know, it's like it's there's no there's no competition there. Um, Still happens, but yeah. Yeah, but they also tried to have this black women can lead narrative or theme in there and the former got a lot more, was, it was a lot stronger and that was really unfortunate. And even and when they did have the black women lead, it really felt like pandering. It was total pandering. It was very empty. And so, yeah, I, uh, what's... There's so much we can say without spoiling it. I mean, it's already spoiled, but you you get what I mean when I say spoiling it. We'll get there very soon. Um, <laughs> what's fucked up to me is that the marketing had the gall to associate themselves with Jordan Peele's Get Out and Us. On the poster and the trailer, producers. it'll tell you that this is from the producers of those films. But... It's the bootleg of the bootleg of the bootleg of Get Out. It's as deceptive as the marketing. This movie was produced by Liongate Pictures. The distribution of selected recent non-in-house films for pay-per-view and on-demand, such as this movie, are under the supervision of NBC Universal Television under Universal Pictures, the company that distributed Get Out and Us. So even then, they didn't even bankroll or have any creative... Pro, uh, creative process in those films. This is like a very much a six degrees of Kevin Bacon, completely divorced from Jordan Peele's movie. So don't believe the hype on that at all. And that's one of the many reasons why I didn't want to watch it. Because, so again, because of my background, you can kind of pick out those little things where like you're watching something and it's like from one of the writers of uh dark nine and then you're just like wait a minute so, right. <laughs> like it's not the same thing you're just trying to get me to watch it because i liked this movie right so yeah Mm-mm. let's just close out here this this has the lowest rotten tomato score of the fall so far and to me this is probably the worst this is the worst movie i've seen this year and that includes mulan and new mutants this gets like half a star for me. I think what I feel like it heart it's very heartbreaking. Yeah. For me. Because I feel like this I I'm not a big fan of watching slavery movies, but I feel like this had the chance to actually be something, um, and actually be a very good horror movie. And what it became was a mockery of slavery. Mm. And that's what upsets me. 
it literally became something that the the good old boys with the red hats can just parade around as like a joke and it that infuriates me that your good intention is laughable to everyone yeah and it just kind of also reinforces unfortunately how when it comes to black people how if we are going to do something we're going to put something out that we need to make sure it's damn good and that really pisses me off that it wasn't because this could have been great and now you've just made a mockery of the suffering of god knows how many people yeah all right let's get to the spoilers talk i mean i'm sure a lot of us are going to watch the movie so please don't but if you do want to watch it and don't want it spoiled here we go three two one you brought up the kanye question and i mm. put it in my notes too mm. Obviously, slavery was not a choice for those who were asked, who do want to answer that question. Mm -hmm. White people from that time period created a system to mentally and emotionally break down black people from the moment they got on the slave boats. So get that out of your head. Mm. Um, I will never suggest that our ancestors were at all weak. But now, after all the history that we have learned in this film, they were kind of answer all that, you know, I and my ancestors talk. And for me, I I did kind of question, like, how long did it take? for someone to really successfully rebel. Like, why did it take this long? Mm. Um, this movie was confusing to me because they didn't let us know what any of the black characters knew while they were on the plantation. Mm-hmm. They all came from different places by different means. Like, did they all know they were living in the present day? Mm. That was never established or why they didn't rise together. It seemed like during regular days, the black people there outnumbered the slavers who were using traditional means of travel and weaponry. Mm. Um, the first rifle clip was made around the Civil War period, but it didn't it wasn't like automatic weapon or something like that. It mm-hmm. carried very, very few rounds. So to further add to that frustration is that we never understand the rules and constraints of this world beyond not being able to talk. We don't know how many people have been kidnapped versus the number of slavers, for example. Janelle could have killed her slaver in his sleep quietly if she wanted to. The turn in the third act didn't make sense because she could have done that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And get out, as soon as Chris knew what was going on, he acted immediately. Right. Us was the same way. There there were no revelations in this movie that conveyed to the audience that it made sense to wait to kill their masters. And as you said, that, that woman, that broke my heart. I don't know her name, but the woman who lost her baby mm-hmm. and then hung herself, man. I, again, a waste. A waste of a character, a waste of a storyline. Yeah. Um, it, it, I feel like the whole thing, when it comes to a why didn't they rebel, it feeds back into the idea of, well, that's just the animal mentality of them. They're just going to follow what Massa says. And no matter how, because I guess the whole premise of it is that they are stealing um, prominent individuals. um, And these people are so, these uppity negras, as they said, which also, they never said the N-word in the film. If we're going to keep it real, they never said the N-word. So they called them Negroes, they called them colored. They call them Negras. Uh, at one point, Jenna Malone's character tells her to get her black ass outside. That was it. That was yeah. the extent of their slurs. Never said the N-word. If you're going to be real. Okay. But um, I just feel that it really relied on the idea of black people just inherently are less than. So we are inherently going to just follow orders and not rebel. And we are inherently not going to do harm to the white person. It made absolutely no sense to me if everybody realizes we are still in present day. Right. There is a plane flying over us. Sister over there got piercings. You over there got tattoos. We see, we hear, we hear these people speaking, these other white people speaking, and someone may have a cell phone or someone is calling someone a senator for God's sakes. Why are you not doing something? Totally. Why was it not written that way? We also don't know the real motivations for these white people to set up something as elaborate as this and how they pulled it off without consequence or investigation. Elizabeth, uh, the white woman played by Jen Malone, said that she handpicked everyone, but she never really said why. I don't think... So the reason why I feel... Jenna Malone's character was the only fleshed out character is because it speaks to the toxicity of white women. Mm. It speaks to, I mean, there's that, uh, that uh, viral photo of, um, I think it was uh, women, the women's March that happened 
what was it 2016? I can't remember. Probably 17. Um, yeah, and uh, there are a bunch of white women, and they're like holding, like get get him out. And there's a black woman in front of them with a sign that says, "Remember, white women voted for Trump." It speaks to the toxicity of them. So I just feel that when it comes to her and the reason why she handpicked them, it goes back to Jordan Peele's um, us. Sorry, not us. Um, get out. Who was the one who was bringing the black men to her parents? It was the white woman who was doing it. Who was the one who was hypnotizing him and getting him deeper into uh, what the is sunken it place? Yes, the sunken place. It was the white woman. So it speaks. I, I completely understand where it was like I handpicked them. I completely understand why she would say that. I was the one who chose them because they are able to see something in their white fragility where they can pick people who they think they can manipulate. Because they are masters of manipulation. And I, when I'm saying this, it does sound like I'm speaking generally. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but all I'm saying is I completely understood why um, she picked every person that she did. I, I completely got it. I don't. Because there were women and men and there, was, there, was, there wasn't a common factor among them that conveyed to the audience why. I mean, you Yes, could- there was. They didn't fight back. Yeah, but we didn't know how, why that was because Janelle Monae's character mm. was a, a doctorate in and she American was by her father. What? Janelle Monae's character was not picked by the white woman. Oh, okay. She was picked by her father. Right, that's true. But what I'm saying is, but she never conveyed to why he did it. Mm, I see what you're saying. Like nothing, nothing really let us know like why, why them. I mean, even the trailer, it's like if they choose you, then blah blah blah. They never really said why. Well, she did. She said for for Janelle Monae's character, she said that her father was just like we the uh, uppity negress. She's spreading all these things on TV because Janelle Monae's character has a book. She is a talking piece on many news um, TV shows. That was like the first thing we saw I, of her. I get it, but I'm saying overall though, like in Get Out. They wanted Chris for his eyes. They wanted um, the other guy for whatever. Like they, they clearly expressed that. Like if this, if this said maybe we chose the homeless or queer people more or disabled, more marginalized people inside that are just are disregarded. If they said something like that and kind of went a little deeper about that, maybe. Mm. But there was never really a why about why the dozens were chosen there. Like what was a key element of their personality, etc., their physicality, why they chose them. Because I. Th- for the what I received when watching it mm-hmm. is the reason why they were chosen is because they were leaders, which is what the young woman says to Janelle Monae's character. You're supposed to be a leader. So that's what they were people who were in the public eye. People, there was a professor. Janelle Monae was a doctor. They were people because that, that's what the, the black gentleman, he was a professor. So I feel like they were people who were actually, and when I say leaders, I mean those people in our um, a community who are speaking out and who mm. are fighting. So I feel like that's why they were chosen okay. because it's like, that's why she was saying, daddy said, no, this negress is on TV telling people all these things. It's just not true. So we need to get her. I feel like that's, that, that is why. That's what I got from it. Okay. I but mean, I feel like it could also be just very much open to interpretation. Yeah, I just feel like this is another element of the movie that never got fleshed out. Mm. Um, it never got enough time. Uh, I want to move on a little bit, though. Uh, even at the end, you know, Janelle rides through the Civil War reenactment, and there's no guarantee that she survived that. <laughs> because we don't know how deep this runs, right? Wait, can we first talk about her riding through the Civil War reenactment? It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous. You could tell that they were music video directors with the music. And the slow And the, 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 <laughs> the skyline and the, and the smoke and the her looking back. It, it was so dramatic and such bullshit. It was like, why are we doing this, guys? <laughs> Weren't the soldiers during that fight the same ones d- during that victory dinner? I think so, yes. So couldn't they have shot and killed her there and the audience wouldn't have known that that was real or not? Maybe if it's a reenactment, because I think they were coming to the reenactment scene. You can't use live bullets during those. Growing up in the South, it's not real. That's fair, that's fair. And then the local police showed up and they could have been in on the whole thing too. Obviously, we know that Klan members are in, and neo-Nazis are in the police. Yes. So they could have killed her right there. Yes. And no one would have cared because they're all red hats there anyway. Mm -hmm. They could have taken her into custody, killed her there. Mm -hmm. They could have taken her into custody and just brought her back to to the farm and put her under harsher restraints. I mean, there's there's nothing Mm. that let us know. 
it was just the beauty of her riding off on a horse with an axe in her hand <laughs> with wearing the union coat wearing a union coat <laughs> wearing a union coat i mean like it was so bad it was it was horrible so i guess the moral of this whole thing is confederate monuments and flags need to be destroyed because it, it legitimizes uh dangerous philosophy but this was poorly <laughs> poorly executed i mean this was so trash are you ready to move on to Lovecraft Country? Please. Yeah, let's move on to something that we actually care about. Uh, <laughs> first of all, shout out to Jonathan Majors for landing the role of Kong the Conqueror. Yay! And the new Ant-Man film. I hope he isn't just a one-off character uh, because... I don't. Like, do you read comics at all? I used to when I was younger. Okay. Well, for those who don't know, Kang is... Is, a, is really an Avengers-level threat. Uh, he's a distant descendant of Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, who is, in Marvel, essentially the smartest man next to, I guess, Moon Girl now is now the, the technically the smartest now. But he's up there. With Kong being black, could Reed and or Susan Storm, his wife, be black in the Fantastic Four reboot? So Johnny Storm, play, played by Michael B. Jordan, was black in the Fantastic Four reboot in 2014, 16, I believe. So this could happen and make the fanboys mad. I don't care about them. Of course. <laughs> we already have right now in the MCU. Shuri is now, I would say, officially the smartest person in the MCU now that Iron Man's dead. Once Reed enters, he should become the smartest or one of the smartest. So what if the two most brilliant minds in this universe are black and we see them like nerd out, blurred out on screen together? I think that would be really, really cool. That would be cool. Um, at the same time, Susan Storm has been cited as the most dangerous Fantastic Four member. So it'd be cool to see a black woman presented as legitimately one of the most powerful MCU heroes at the same time. Mm. Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie is now the king of Asgard, but we haven't seen what that looks like yet. And she doesn't really have any amazing feats like Thor yet either. So even though she, we know she is strong, we haven't really seen that like we have the Hulk or Thor, etc. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to what he brings to the MCU and other things to come. Let's start with episode five of Lovecraft Country. This was Ruby's episode, yeah? Yes. <laughs> yes. We told y'all, right? They were the same person. Yeah, yes. But I think my favorite reaction is just when Ruby finds out. It's just like, <laughs> you've been him the whole damn time? Was like, <laughs> <laughs> that was a very black reaction. I loved it. <laughs> uh, Ruby had a great episode. So many jewels. Yeah. Um, and Christina literally put a spell on her. I told you. I told you. <laughs> Did she you. put a spell on her? Like you know to have sex with her. Did she put a spell on her? I I think when she, when she, when he sucked her blood and mm. mixed his kind of spell blood into her. I don't think so. I think they genuinely like each other. <laughs> and maybe that's just me shipping them. But I genuinely think they like each other. I mean, I think so too. <laughs> but I also think that, and, and we'll get to this later. She genuinely thought she was trying to help her. And so she said, I mean, she seemed like genuinely wanted to change her life by putting a spell on her. And then, and of course, she gave her the option to not do it, you know, later on. But yeah, I, I, I stand by it. Because I just don't see that. I see, I, I do see them having sex. I see Ruby waking up as a white woman. I see. But I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I feel like that was the beginning. Okay. Like. Here's the blood from from my I'm mixing it in my mouth, putting it back into you to change you, and from now on, you can take this gem. How do you know how this how this works? Well, we know how it works because the locked room. We know that there's something in that room, and also she turned into Dell, the uh the sheriff, um the caretaker from the village back in Artem. So how did William have Dell's blood in him to turn Ruby into Dell? We don't know. See, that, that's what I'm saying. Hasn't, I don't think that happened. Hasn't, hasn't been explained yet, but I'm going to stand by it. Okay, I'm okay. standing by it. Okay. But man, um, let's keep going. The the terrifying moment when Ruby, as a white woman, runs into to that black boy. Oh, child. Ooh, man. Ooh, poor baby was like, ma'am, are you okay? And I was like, run away from him, run away from him. <laughs> I was just, just scared for that boy, man. Oh, Same. man, that was, that was terrifying. Um, the blood and guts of this movie, uh, the blood and guts of this episode, though. Cray. So good. Uh, we thought the first episode was kind of brutal, but this takes the the bloody cake. Uh, William stabbing uh, and guts Ruby, and yeah. then she transforms back into herself. Um, side note: We're going to get to the music eventually, but did you notice how they have found or created new stories that foreshadow what's going to happen? So as he was stabbing or trying trying to open Ruby up, 
in the background was that news story about the locusts. The, the locusts and then before we have the thing with Montrose mm-hmm. and the Red Scare and destroying mm-hmm. their stockpile. It's like the Watchmen and the American superhero story. They were kind of paralleling there. Mm-hmm. And then also with Montrose, the locust dance. Ah. That San- Sammy, is that the gentleman? Sammy, thing? yeah. Yeah, Sammy mentioned he was going to do the dance of the locust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, you know, everyone knows I don't like the, uh, the modern music here. So I, I wish that they did the music in this way as they're doing it with the news because it, it feels it feels more genuine. I don't know. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Please get there because I do not share his sentiments. Only one song I feel they could have done without. Well, nobody's, that was it. Nobody's perfect. Anyway, um, <laughs> wa- watching the scene with Tick uh, nearly beating Montrose to death was, it had more meaning for me after mm-hmm. watching episode six and just how cold he was during the time in Korea and just how he saw right through Montrose's words about right. She gone. She's gone, yeah. She gone. Um, and we talked to Letty later on about how he found his violent side during the war. Mm. How do you feel about this sex scene? After he freaked out over, over Montrose, he calmed down and he was mm. kind of researching some, uh, the I think the book, kind of trying to decipher the code. Yeah. And then she walks up and gives him the film. Right. And then, you know, he's like, don't, don't be afraid of me. Yeah, I, uh, when it comes to them... I'm not a fan okay. of their pairing. Okay. So I feel like when you're asking about the sex thing, I honestly feel like I blacked it out because I'm not a fan of their pairing. I just feel like I understand the whole like vehicle of their pairing. Mm-hmm. Do I ship it? Not necessarily. So I'm just kind of like, I just feel health-wise, they should not be together. I skip the sex scene. I usually don't watch sex scenes, period. I did really? watch... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, interested in that. What I found interesting here was the whole notion of women or black women in general being the source of healing for black men and their exactly. pain. Exactly. And so I found that kind of problematic. The sentiment for some years now is, you know, woman isn't your mother. She's not responsible for healing a man. But it seemed like that was the message here. Yes. And, and you know, I'm not necessarily in that camp. I think some trauma for men and women is hard to process and overcome alone. So I don't necessarily subscribe to that kind of do-it-yourself philosophy in regards to pain. But I do believe in boundaries and some sort of self-reliance. I just wish there was more to the scene than just, don't be scared of me. Okay, let's have sex now. It's like, like what else What else can we do there on an emotional level to, to like, what does this teach the culture here? This is what, well, first of all, I don't think they're trying to teach the culture anything, to mm-hmm. be fair. Okay. But then I also feel that this has, you've summed up exactly why I've never shipped them together. It has always felt from the very beginning to me that, Tick is um, purposefully or uh, maybe not really realizing that he is using Letty. And I feel like episode six for me cemented that. Mm. I feel I've I've always kind of felt that she sees more in this relationship than he does. She has more feelings invested in this relationship than he does. And I've always felt that he is using her for some sort of comfort. And episode six confirmed me, confirmed that for me. Episode five, you mean? Oh, sorry. No, episode six confirmed it for me. Oh, six. Oh, okay. To see his relationship with Gia confirmed that for me. Got it. Okay. I mean, yeah, the fact that he, again, we go back to episode, uh, the adventure one, when he put her out on that beam first. (laughs) Put on the beam first. I'm like, bro, what what is that? Um, Let's go back to Ruby. Because, yeah, I'm with you on that. Let's go back to Ruby. Ruby being white uh, was a direction that I did not see coming. Uh, but was it fun to explore? Uh, her getting that free ice cream reminded me of the Eddie Murphy SNL sketch, White Like Me. You ever see that sketch? No. So he, it's, it's an old 80s sketch where he gets a makeup artist to paint himself white mm-hmm. and just goes out into New York and just sees, sees the experience. And there's mm-hmm. one scene where he tries to buy a newspaper mm-hmm. and the cashier's like, there's nobody around. Take it. And like Eddie Murphy's looking at him like, like super shocked, like mm-hmm. what's going on? He was like, take it, get out of here. <laughs> everyone if you haven't seen it check it out it's really really funny but of course the meat of her experience is at Marshall's where we get that that Cardi transition that was the one point I, the song was Money Moves I believe Money yeah uh, no, no, uh, Money yeah it was Money yeah 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 Money, money. Um, that was the one song I was like I didn't need that yeah but yes, yeah, she said she walked around with the only currency she need her whiteness she was exactly right totally correct and of course we see with her qualifications that Ruby could be successful and 
as we start to see her shed her skin, we turn to see Montrose stuck in his. Mm-hmm. And speaking of stuck, I have to admit, this is my first cis male homosexual sex scene, I think. And I was more shocked at how my man just rammed himself up in, into Sammy with a handful of spit. That looked painful to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> So I'm sitting here watching the scene thinking, ah, Montrose, you can't even like open your heart to have a loving moment with Sammy and actually like make love to this man. And this fool across from me is like, yo, like that looked painful. Like he's <laughs> it did. I mean, and they they zoomed in on the hand. It was like a big glob, and it was just like he needs loop, sir. I mean, he does, but I don't. Is that enough? I just that just looked painful to me. You know what? I don't I know don't what. Know Sammy's- I don't know what. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I mean, I guess they have experience doing this, but but man. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, Sammy ain't prepared. Um, When I watched that, I was just thinking how sad it was because at one point Sammy tries to kiss him and he can't even do it. And it was just so heartbreaking to me that this man is still just so, like, not even stuck in the closet. He's put, like, a moat around it. And Mm. it's just like... That broke my heart to see that Sammy loves this man. And then at this point, they were using the Frank Ocean song about mm. bad religion, yeah. which was beautiful. I thought it was a, a, a great choice. No, totally. Uh, watching it again, I, I thought it was fine. Because I think, <laughs> I think here's the difference. Yeah. I think that song was a little more orchestrated. Like, mm-hmm. having, like, a trap beat in this setting <laughs> is a lot more jarring than what Frank Ocean did. It depends on the situation. It felt a little better. Okay, we'll we'll probably get there, I'm sure. <laughs> How'd you feel about Ruby's interaction with uh, Tamara? Tamara, oh. Ruby's interaction for me felt very much realistic mm-hmm. in the sense of like, you understand Ruby's frustration because Ruby is extremely qualified. Mm. And when she wanted to apply as a black woman, all she wanted to be was a sales associate. And when she comes in with her resume as a white woman, she is actually hired as an assistant manager. Right. So that speaks volumes to like her knowledge and her experience. But it makes sense that when she's speaking to Tamara and Tamara tells her that she doesn't have a high school education, that she didn't even know that she could get accounting classes at the community center. So she has she basically just walked in and applied, literally applied on a whim, just like Tamara told her. And I understand that hurt and that frustration. I completely get that. But then on the flip side of that, it's kind of like you don't want to be that uh, talented 10% where you're shitting on everybody else because they didn't realize that they had this opportunity or they didn't excel to the level that we we know as black people we need to excel to just to get a crumb. So um, her reaction to Tamara, the, her for initial reaction, I was like, girl, you don't have to tell her her hands were ashy. That was messed up. Like, and you had to do that. <laughs> do, do white people know this word? Cause they if, don't. Yes, I'm saying. Cause so, so I'm like, if I heard a white person just tell me out, out the blue, man, you ashy. I'd be like, who are you? Well, like, you saw I would have freaked out. looked at her when she mentioned the community center. She was like, oh, I didn't know. Like, you know, <laughs> she she was looking at her like, oh, I didn't even know. How do you know right. this stuff? But yeah, she had to do it like that. But then she kind of comes back around. Sure. And on the surface, it can look like she was helping Tamara. But essentially, she was just kind of venting after seeing just how fucked up white people can be. So <laughs> White women especially. White women especially, which do goes you, back to them being toxic. Do you think, this wasn't, I think, fully explored, but do you think there was maybe a beauty privilege element with Tamara getting hired? Oh, absolutely. There was a beauty privilege of me getting hired here in Korea. Of course. So, of course. Absolutely. And yeah, as, as, uh, as Jade said, I think it speaks to how black people can become bougie once they have obtained, you know, higher economic or educational status. I know that when I was developing in my like early twenties, I had that issue with family um, and strangers on the street sometimes too. So I felt that for sure. You brought up Tutti Frutti before. Yes. There's a good juxtaposition of Pat Boone's cover mm-hmm. of Little Richard's song with Ruby, a black woman being inside a white woman trying to dance in that skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as she tries to simulate and persuade the ladies to be less racist, she's hit with that wap ba mm-hmm. And that cuts over to, during the drag queen prep, mm-hmm. Little Richard song is playing. Mm-hmm. Just great, yeah. great storytelling. Mm-hmm. There's so many layers here. So I looked up the names of the people who were alongside Sammy. And yes. you know who these people are. You yes. want to? You, you could probably speak to that. So the main two ones were Monet Exchange and uh, Shangela Laquifa Watley from uh, RuPaul's Drag Race fame. Yes. Yes. Um, and they 
And alongside Daryl Stevens, they played three different uh, important black female singers at the time. So Shangela played Lena, L- Lena Horn, mm-hmm. and Monet Exchange played Diana Washington. Diana Washington, mm-hmm. and Daryl Stevens was Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. Um, Shangela did an interview with uh, Entertainment Tonight, and I just want to give a quote that I thought was really nice. Um, and she said. She was happy to see a series like Lovecraft showcase this slice of LGBTQ and queer life in that era. And while there are increasingly more and more queer narratives depicted on screen, we don't see a lot of representation of what queer life was like pre-Stonewall. And honestly, it was an education for her too. She didn't realize that these types of events happened in such a fabulous way. And of course, they had to be so secretive and kept on the low. That's right. There's a a great film, like a classic film in um, LGBT uh, history, The Queen, and it showcases the balls that happened in the 60s. -hmm. However, it specifically showcases the white balls, and black entertainers could enter these balls however they had to pass. And the movie is really informative just when it comes to, like, LGBT culture and the drag culture at that time. However, it's, like, the last 15 minutes of that film that you really want to watch because, like, a classic historical queen... Oh, my goodness, I'm having a a brain fart. What is her name? Um... LaBeja, Peppa LaBeja. <laughs> oh, sorry, not Peppa. But <laughs> she's at the House of LaBeja, the mother of the House of LaBeja. Um, and she basically did not win. They picked uh, a white queen. And she goes off about how, like, it's ridiculous and it's not fair. And it, it that's, like, the only, I think, the only piece of film that we have that showcases that sort of history um, until we get Paris is Burning. Mm. Um, so Shangela is exactly correct because they did have balls and they had to be very secretive, not only because uh, they were drag queens, but because of, they were black. So they had to have their own balls. And we still have to have our own balls, but that's a whole other conversation. True. Yeah, I like that drag ball scene. For the record, y'all, I'm not going to pretend like I'm super woke on queer culture. Uh, my best friend's gay. Uh, I've watched Moonlight and I've marched in a queer pride parade. Like, that's 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 the extent. Um so yeah, these things were not what I was used to, but it was really refreshing to see Montrose finally shedding his skin. Even though he's so problematic, it's like you still want him to to win on some level. Um, uh, he's problematic, but I understand why he's problematic. Exactly, yes. And I cried throughout his whole entire... I, I cried tears. I cried tears. Yeah. Choosing to be himself in that safe space. It was beautiful. I think all marginalized groups can relate to that. And the perfect song. Oh, yeah. Perfect song. Beautiful. It was great. It was really well shot too with the mm-hmm. with the drag queens picking him up. Yeah. That was so sweet. It was really sweet. A really heartwarming rebuke of patriarchy compared to Ruby's much more violent way. Whoop. Here we go. <laughs> Look at it. So I take it you were digging the Cardi B here. I freaking loved it. Because it yes, it was on the nose. It was. And I'm okay with that. Cuz sometimes being on the nose is okay. Yeah, I I didn't hate it. I didn't hate. Yeah, I didn't hate this one. <laughs> and she had the line of the episode. Mm-hmm. You wanna you wanna you wanna give it to us? Uh, oh shoot! <laughs> Why am I having such brain farts? It was. Uh, I wanted you to see that a, a nigger bitch did this to you. Yes. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Uh, really though, what the fuck is up with the skin and blood uh, cleanup? She did it in the store, in, in the, the in the club, in the street. I mean, like, who's? Can Can you imagine being in the 1950s and you just casually walk up on that like <laughs> blood and white skin uh, like what <laughs> I wish they had some like kind of MCU after credit stinger where someone just walks up on that and like or like open the door to the to Marshall and, and see right. him tied oh up God. like just a face you know yeah. just give me that <laughs> if I'm not mistaken uh, the south side bar that they all went to uh, Tamara and the white ladies and Ruby mm. was the one that Ruby sang her soul out and and she got ignored remember that when she, mm. it was, okay. and so in my interpretation here, for her to see the white ladies get attention from those black men mm. instead of her at that time must have been a breaking point. And we finally see that full transformation uh, that was hinted at mm. throughout the episode of her really taking that skin off and really morphing. Mm. I thought that was really powerful. Did did you I didn't get that? get that from that. Um, that's very powerful. What I got from it was just the fact that the white people were on safari. 
yeah. and how we're just here accepting them. Yeah. And isn't that how it always is? Even like with people in the entertainment um, industry where it's just like, yeah, I'm going to be a, a black. I'm going to do hip hop. I'm going to do R&B. And then when they're done, after we've accepted them, when they're done, that's when they go back to their country roots or their pop roots or whatever. It's like we're always the ones accepting and always um, asking people to like always being so sharing with our culture mm-hmm. and our music and our dances and our everything. And all we are is a, a, a show to them. And so I just felt like Ruby was just sitting back and watching the show, just watching these like white women just integrate themselves into culture and then they can just leave and still be white and still get what they need and oppress and, along the way and oppress everybody else along the way but you had fun at with the negroes didn't you right so that that's what i got from it i just felt like what what the fuck is all of this yeah for sure totally um closing out for this episode ruby seen with christina at the end <laughs> and she had the second best line of the episode <laughs> Please shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot relate to who I am. When I tell you this white woman, as soon as she started talking, I was like, yeah. And I was like, if she don't shut the hell up. And it was it was so like, ugh, I had to pause it when she was like, shut the fuck up. I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm sure every black one was, was very seen right there. Very seen. I felt so seen. Oh, but we missed something with uh, when Ruby first walked out as a white woman. Um, and the song that was playing, uh, well, the spoken word that was playing was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was it? I, I'm sorry. Uh, it was um, for, for color girls who've uh, considered suicide. Um, I'm, get, I'm jumbling the title. I'm so sorry. But yeah, so it was the opening of that, the, the, uh, the opening of that play. And that was beautiful, like well put, perfect. Yeah, that was excellent. Um, so let's get to episode six. Continuing with the intersectionality theme, I'm so f- glad we finally got episode with this mysterious South Korean woman, Jia. So and this, most of it was in Korean. Yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> yes. So I understood a bit of that. Right. <laughs> so this dealt with patriarchy, again, but it also touched upon comfort women, U.S. imperialism, a little bit of racial triangulation, more so than get out with uh, Asian Americans, and also how the meaning of monster and hero is relative. Mm. The opening shot in the theater reminded me of current trends in theaters, hardly anyone being there, but also reminded me more importantly of how feminism on screen in South Korea has been seen through a white lens for such a long time, mm. along with beauty. Plastic surgery here, you know, mm. is geared to make women look more European yeah. with bigger eyes and specific noses the view of and others. yeah, face shapes. Mm. My ex recommended me a feminist movie for us to watch once and it was Suffragette, that white <laughs> feminist movie from the UK. <laughs> Wait! <laughs> I have not seen that movie. I don't plan on seeing that movie. Exactly. I, I told her, I was like, I'm not watching this. Ma'am. I'm not watching this, this, this white nonsense. But yeah, it was unfortunate that she could not present a film from her own country or in Asia right. in general. Mel said on the show before about us black people having to project ourselves on white faces for decades. Mm. I remember wanting to be sarcastic and chill like Peter Venkman in Ghostbusters or charming and cool like Ferris Bueller. And I really saw myself in G.I. She was kind of trying, like, she really saw herself as Judy Garland. Mm. You know, black girls, you know, may have seen themselves in Belle or Ariel at the time. It would be nicer to, you know, have ourselves represented on on screen. Are you okay? You're looking. No, I'm trying to think now that you mention it. Who did I want to be when I was growing up? Like, who did I project myself onto? And it was Whitney Houston and Brandy. Okay. So Whitney Houston was super, super young. And then like around like middle school, Brandy. Brandy was cool. Yeah, like elementary, middle school. I was obsessed with Brandy. Had the braids on her thing. Okay, continue, sorry. Oh, you good. <laughs> and cutting to the scene with her mom saying that she has to bring men home, I really thought this was like the Mulan angle. But this show is rarely that easy and direct. <laughs> bring bring home a husband. <laughs> yeah, like I really was thought. Oh, this is this is this is you know standard standard stuff. Not at all. Nope. Speed dating. Let's talk about that. Speed dating. Oh my god. <laughs> was a big thing in Korea, and it still happens today. Yeah. Meeting. Meeting. Yes. <laughs> but of course, it slowed down because of the virus. My favorite part there was the Korean Hotep who who laid into Gia <laughs> because she liked American films, and he called it propaganda. He was. The Japanese have stolen all of our culture and our history. And you talk to me about American propaganda. I was like, ooh, child. <laughs> Bruh. <run>. Swipe left <laughs> and block. <laughs> I mean, but he was entirely wrong. He wasn't. You know, um, but 
presently there is a right wing nationalist kind of men's rights concentration here, and I I felt that man's words there. Like, ugh. Uh, side note: Do you think the guy who also liked Judy Garland crossed her out because he heard rumors that every guy who dates her is never seen again? I thought he crossed her out because he was gay. You think so? Um, Judy Garland is a gay icon. And I thought, like, the way he looked at her... Wow, y'all should see Brendan's face right now. <laughs> wow, layers. The way, the way he looked at her was kind of like a, you're sweet, like, take care. Like, and so he crossed her out. Oh, that's a And then when point. the other girl was like, oh, he's kind of dull. Like, you know, he's just... Engine. I was like, yeah, he's gay. <laughs> wow. I, I that did not see that. That's why I love having... having partners on the show that we, we just see things we, we you yeah. know the other than see i love that yeah um i can't wait for americans to start saying that korean curse word now oh, Shiba. Shiba. <laughs> Shiba. uh let's talk about that, that first murder scene ha because <laughs> jesus christ i again did not see that coming at all that was great. again the show plays with the idea of heroes and monsters and even when the mom shows up you know i thought she was going to be shocked but she was she was in on it 10 more Ten more. <laughs> and it's close the door like, I'm out. Clean, clean it up. Right. The scene when Gia uh, and her friends were talking about being different. Do you remember that that scene? Yeah, her and her, uh, her best friend, yeah. Yeah. It made me pause because it speaks to a greater problem in society. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm about to go on a small tangent. So, so, so ride with me here. People, listen. Ooh. When someone tells you a general problem they have, don't rush to put yourself in their shoes. Ooh, a word. Ask, preach, preach please, like, ask questions to get a deeper understanding before you give any advice or anything. Gia was super vague about how her mom wanted her to change, and her friend jumped in and was like, well, then don't change. Your mom doesn't love you. <laughs> that's not what, wait, that's not what she said. Hold on. That's what she said. She didn't say she doesn't love her. She did. <laughs> she did. She did. I remember her saying. Her she mom- said, what your mom is doing is not love. Right. Okay, that's so a little that's, different. <laughs> okay, you. there's nuance there, but but still. <laughs> Words mean things. Words mean things. <laughs> but still, this woman literally has a demon inside of her. You are not alike. <laughs> um, you know, and then Giat tries, tries to connect later on on the level with Tick and say, you know, he doesn't talk to his father. And she's like, I have issues with, I have issues with my mom, too. Not the same. Not the same. In people's pain and loneliness, uh, they'll take any shred of commonality in someone and try to place themselves there to problematic effects sometimes. Very true. Um, and admittedly, I was a bit triggered by this scene. I bring up my ex for, for the last time today. <laughs> the last time today. <laughs> we had some differences uh, on top of a language barrier, and uh, she would sometimes go to a friend of hers or random Korean interracial dating group on the internet for advice. And she would come back and make these bad choices. The twist is... I know exactly what group she's talking about. <laughs> the twist is, she had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder. Why am I know your ex? <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't tell anybody that. So so her condition caused her to have drama- you know, dramatic mood swings and simply interpret reality in a different way. And instead of these ladies really getting to the heart of the situation... And really understanding this random stranger on the net, they projected themselves on the situation and they helped make it worse. I'm sorry, it's gonna be laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, sorry. Uh, I'm begging everyone, for the sake of our community, just ask questions. Stop just putting yourself there all the time. Take some time with your friends, your loved ones, and mm. really ask questions, understand them. Yeah. And if you have a good girl, slide into Brennan's DMs and you know hook him up. You know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, back to the show. <laughs> what I continue to find brilliant about this show is that even though there are supernatural elements, the show never loses focus of the real demons, which are patriarchy and racism. They affected G.I. and her mom. Mm. They affected Tick and Montrose. Mm. Uh, it forced figurative and literal monsters into these children. Uh, it twisted Gia's own idea of love. Mm. Apparently, the man that her mom remarried sexually assaulted her many times mm. to the point that the mother had to summon a demon to put in her to kill mm. this man. Like, that's trauma and pain. You know, then we get to the the spy out, and they're trying to find the spy. And Mel and I talked about this on the Five Bloods review about how the oppressed 
become the oppressors in the military, black right. folks going abroad to become oppressors. And that was on full display. And that's purposeful as well. Oh, yeah. A black man now in a position of power he would have never had back in the U.S., killing with impunity, shooting women in the head with mm. no remorse mm. or thought. Tick, a man beaten down by the system and his own father, found a place to get all that violence he was mm. given up until then, and the main victims, again, were women. Mm. We've been seeing Tick as this black Captain America, Isaiah Bradley type. I have Okay. <laughs> I mean... He wasn't, he wasn't perfect. But. That's what they're trying to... <laughs> well, I think they tried to paint him in that way, and then they've been slowly kind of pulling the veil off that he's a lot more complicated than that. Mm. And this definitely adds an entirely new dimension to his character. He's not a hero, mm. um, as he is rather just the protagonist mm, in the story. Exactly. Um, the first scene with Song... Uh, the Korean American uh, Tick and Jia were great. I thought uh, her perception of the U.S. is colored by what she sees on film. You know, I've been asked by Korean people. I don't know about you, but you know, folks will ask me like, "Do you want a gun?" or, you know, "Have you seen a gang or been in a gang?" Like those kind of questions. I don't get those questions, um, but uh, I mostly get people wanting to teach me things, um, and I. Uh, but that I, I don't get those questions now. Okay, yeah, it's all good. Um, anyway, Song, a Korean American. He's a foreigner no matter where he goes. And mm-hmm. I thought that was that was nice. It would have been nice to have a little more time with him. That would have been lit. But again, that's a little more than what we got in Get Out. Right. Even though he laments his position, he can still enter spaces that we cannot. Exactly. And I wish they kind of would have had a little yeah. more time with that. But yeah, I think Gia's monologue to take at the base mm-hmm. once she, you know, once they tried to have their first sex scene was so moving. That was me the the best part. It was moving. The actor in me um, did notice that. So the uh, the woman who plays Jia, Jamie Chung, mm-hmm. she's um, uh, Korean American. Mm-hmm. Um, so she doesn't have a natural Korean accent. Right. Um, and so in that moment, because the girl is like actually like in the moment, she loses a Korean accent. Um, so I did notice that. But I mean, it I didn't like falter for it because it's like, no, this bitch is acting her ass off right now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The the quote we've we've done monstrous things, but it does not make us monsters. Yeah. We could be the people we see in each other. We just have to be. That was that was that was powerful. And just majors, man, he can turn those tears on and off. His his water ducts are like as big as his muscles. It's not really hard. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> it's not. I mean, every time it's it isn't just like the eyes. It's like he's he's puffed up. Yeah. I mean, he. I don't think I've ever seen an actor turn it on like him. There's a great video of. Uh, Oh, what's her name? Amy, Amy something. Uh, she Amy was Schumer. In, no, she was in. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, red hair. She kind of looks like Amy Adams. A- yes, I think it's Amy Adams. She okay. was doing an interview, and they were like, "I heard you can cry on cue," and they're like, "Okay, do it." And so she did. It. <laughs> and they were like, "Oh my god, like, what just happened?" <laughs> no, it, it was it was nuts. It just he's so good at it. Yeah. I mean, but both of them were just. Phenomenal. They were great. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. They were so great. And they had a really good chemistry. Oh, yeah. Like, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that chemistry reading that they had before they were cast. For sure. So good. Weird cutaway, though, to the reading about the Kumiho. They were reading about it, and then he's like, oh, hey, by the way, I got to go. It was like... She tried. She did try. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, like, why did he choose that moment to say it? It, it felt like 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 a record scratch in the episode. It was Why it was flowing. Do things? I don't know, my guy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Even weirder that after she throws Tick off the bed, her first words are like, "Don't go home. You're gonna die." I mean, that's not where that's not what you lead with, sir. <laughs> she was terrified. <laughs> she said, "Don't go home. You won't die." <laughs> it, we, we could start with, "Hey." I know what just happened was crazy, but let me tell you no, something. She, she already knows he's freaking out. So she's like, listen, I know you're freaking out about what's happening to me, but real shit, listen to me. You're going to die. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> like saying, if I tell you right now, don't think about elephants, you're going to think about elephants. If I just, if a woman that I've I've loved just had furry things come out of her body and throw me away, and mm. then she tells me, don't go home. <laughs> What else am I thinking about, Jade? Maybe I'm coming from the female standpoint. I understood exactly why that was her first reaction. Bruh, I get it. <laughs> bro, no. No. Um, let's get to the, to the end here. Mm-hmm. Do you know the origin of the monologue there? So we talked about the, the, the spoken word mm-hmm. in episode five. Mm-hmm. Do you know the, the monologue as Gia and her mother went to the shaman? 
Yeah, it's Judy Garland. Yes. Judy Garland herself. Uh, so I got this information from TV Party, which said that in 1964, Garland started recording her thoughts in order to get her thoughts down for an unpublished biography. And it was really great. It was really perfect for, yeah. for, for that scene. It's what a wonderful, beautiful bow to wrap up this episode, mm-hmm. layer upon layers there, just being disillusioned with all that she was trying t- to be. Exactly. Last side note, do you know who the Mudong, the Korean shaman woman was? I know she was, I, I, I didn't, I don't know her name, mm-hmm. but she looks very familiar. And I felt the same way. And I, and I thought to myself, she looks like the elderly woman in that Black Panther Busan scene where, where Lupita talked to her before they went into the club. Oh. And sure enough, it is her. Oh, I was like, why do I know this woman's face? Yep. But I didn't, okay. Her name is Alexis Ree. Good for her. Yeah. And she was even doing the whole Korean thing where they rub their hands together. I was like, you better do it, girl. Bird bird man rub? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You better rub them hands, shaman. Okay. All right. Well, I really look forward to where this is going to go. Man, just mystery and questions abound now. But we're going to end it here for this part of the show. You know what? Before we go. Okay. Just kidding. What do you listen to right now? Oh, music. <laughs> Good question. Um, so as I said in the last episode, I am learning how to DJ right now. So um, my music is kind of all over the place, to be fair. Um, but what I actually am listening to right now, I went back and started listening to... Uh, uh, Ari Lennox, her remix of Shea Butter Baby, like that whole album. Mm. Um, and then I also started to listen to Big Sean's um, Detroit 2. Mm, I haven't got that yet. I do want to get it. Of the new stuff I'm listening to, yeah. I'm checking out One Below from Binary Star, uh, his mm-hmm. new album called C-Section, listening to Kanye, uh, not Kanye, Conway the Machine from King to a God. Lupe Fiasco has been in heavy rotation, his house EP. And I'm looking forward to listening to Ronnie Jay's Jupiter album, I like him. He mm-hmm. he uh, produced for Denzel Curry and stuff. He's really good. Blue in Exile, Miles, and uh... yeah, I can talk about music all day though. So, <laughs> all right, <laughs> I'm kind of a nerd. Let's sign when out. When it comes here. to that, oop, I gotta go, guys. They're kicking me out. Where can they find you? Um, y'all can still find me on Instagram. So I noticed that none of y'all follow me, and that like really hurt my feelings and stuff. So like, I really think y'all should follow me on Instagram because like I'm cute or whatever. So you can find me on Instagram at Jade, that's J-A-D-E, Chanel, that's C-H-A-U-N-E-L-L-E. Thank you. And if you want me back, tell Brandon, because I'll come back. It's cool. It's whatever. And of course, we're on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We're on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D-P-R-U-P. And we're on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. I don't really use Twitter, so mm, sorry. And of course, we're on Blurred.com. <laughs> Catch us there. I'm going to sign off here, and Tara's going to come in, and we're going to do our gaming show on the Council War. So we'll see you all later. All All right. Thank you, Jane. Thank you for having me. Word.